Joshua. I'm one of the elders here at Prairie View, and it's my privilege to uh, bring a message from the Word of God this morning. And as Carl mentioned earlier, uh, my wife is, is in the hospital, and so some of you may be wondering, why are you here? Why, why aren't you there with her if she had uh, abdominal surgery on Friday night? Why are you here? Well, if you know Erin, uh, she insisted that she, she knew that I had, I had the slot this week, and Carl was ready and willing to, to step in if, uh, if he needed to, but Erin said, no, you've got a job to do, and I'm tired of having you around, so you go preach. And she also gave instructions. She has pretzel M&Ms for Mardana. Is Mardana here? There's some kerfuffle on Facebook this week, and Mardana needed pretzel M&Ms. So Mardana, if you're listening to this online, we have M&Ms for you. When we were moving from the emergency department over to the women's pavilion, um, our nurse, Mark, was uh, just talking and telling stories, and he had the privilege of working in Israel on a kibbutz earlier in his career before he got into medicine. And he said that one night he got invited to a dart party, and he thought, okay, I like darts, I like parties, I'll go to this dart party. And he goes to these people's houses, and uh, it's a husband and wife, both um, uh, nurses, nurse practitioners, and uh, he didn't see any dartboards, he didn't see any darts, he didn't see anybody playing any sort of pub games of any kind. And he's enjoying it and enjoying the company, but didn't know what was going on. And then at some point, uh, they put a map of the world on the wall. And the, uh, one of the folks of that husband and wife got blindfolded, and they took a dart and threw it at the map. And that was where they went to work for the next year. Whatever region of the world, whatever country the dart hit the map, that's where they went, and that's how they got to Israel, and from Israel, it turns out they're going to South Africa. How many of you ended up in central Indiana because you threw a dart at a world map or an Indiana U.S. map? None of us. None of us make decisions that way. Is that a good way to make decisions? Is that, you know, just leaving it in God's hands and having him direct through the spirit where the dart lands? No, that is a foolish way to make decisions. That's dumb. Last week, we talked about got wisdom. We were in James chapter 1, and we talked about wisdom. And we're going to continue that this week, as I promised last week. And uh, before we uh, start talking more practically and applicationally, if you could get out your Bibles, please, and turn to James chapter 1. I did not spend a whole lot of time on the PowerPoint this week. I got a couple slides, but none of them are the scriptures. So you'll want to have your own Bible out Please, going to James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That was what we talked about last week. We continued and we finished out 6 through 8 last week. If you're curious about that, you can get it online. But what we saw is that wisdom is from God. Wisdom isn't something that happens as the dart is flying through the air from your hands to the wall or however else you might make decisions. Wisdom is from God. And he gives wisdom through this book. And not just through all the teachings in here. This book is about Jesus. And that's what we talked about last week. Christ is the wisdom from God. 
Christ allows us to be reconciled to God so that we can live a life that pleases God. And last week we spent our time talking about how Christ is wisdom from God. You can't get any benefit from the Psalms or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or or any of the wisdom books without understanding who you are in Christ first. Who Christ is, what he has done, and what it means for you. That was the big picture and the groundwork. And this morning we're going to look at some details To wrap up last week, it's a quote that I didn't use last week from Colin Smith, pastor in Chicago, but it really wraps up where we were last week and where we're going this morning. When we fear God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we fear God, we will see our need of Christ and respond to his invitation to come to him. Christ is the wisdom of God, and by his spirit, he will lead his people to put their lives together with skill. That's what wisdom means, to put your life together well. It will be marked by decisions made in light of God's word rather than on impulse and choices considered not only in light of their immediate impact, but also in light of their long term consequences. We talked about the fool. Ponder the paths of your feet. The fool doesn't pay attention to the path that he's on, where it's taking him, why he's going where he's going or whether he's going to like what he gets when he gets there. Long-term consequences. The result of this wisdom over years will be a life which has the mark of greatness about it. Such a life will cause those who see it to give praise and thanks to God. So, once we get the uh, Christ issue settled, once Christ is Lord, once Christ is Savior in your life, then what? What difference does that make? What does that have to do with daily life? What does the gospel have to do with how we live our lives? And we're going to talk about um, the big area of resources and priorities this morning. There's more that we could talk about, and uh, if I get a chance to preach in September, maybe we'll do that. Uh, Before we get to the right answer, I'll give three wrong answers. Answers that are incomplete or not quite sufficient. Call the first one the, uh, what would Jesus do? WWJD answer to what the gospel has to do with daily life. I'm sure many of you remember, or maybe you still yet have and wear those handy-dandy bracelets that say WWJD. And the idea was to be reminded all the time. And they were very good for what they, for, for their narrow purpose, always have with you, looking, always with you, if you can remember something that's always with you, what would Jesus do when you get yourself in a situation, you're facing a decision, small, big, in the moments, long time to plan, whatever. It's worthwhile to think about what would Jesus do. Because, yeah, he was God. He was perfect. And if Jesus would do something, then it was the right thing to do. And if Jesus wouldn't do it, then it's not a grand idea. But there's more to living the Christian life than just looking at Jesus as some sort of ethical guide and some sort of uh, um, way to figure out what the, the right thing to do is. There's more to living for Christ than just trying to figure out what he would do in a given situation. Jesus is more than a guide. He is our Lord and he's our Savior. Another wrong answer, call this the all-you-need-is-love method. Um, You know, I just want to love God and love people. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to do the loving thing at all times, and everything's going to be fine. And obviously, that's good. You want to love God, and you want to love people. But as a life philosophy and a way to make your decisions, uh, the way it gets worked out in practice uh, oftentimes leads to an emphasis on Harmony and unity and peace and conflict avoidance. When sometimes, as Jesus showed us, the most loving thing you can do for somebody is tell them truth in a gracious way. Not obnoxious, not brutal, but sometimes doing the loving thing is, is, is hard. We have 
the idea of church discipline, where somebody lives in consistent and unrepentant and blatant sin for so long that they have to be told by the church, you can't do that. You can't, you can't do that. The most loving thing that we can do to you is not associate with you so that you know the seriousness of what you're doing. Love is a great thing. Teach us how to love our brothers. We just sang that and, and help us grow in the love of God. But as a life philosophy, it's insufficient. The third one, The Year of Living Biblically. How many saw that book, read about that book? The reviews came out probably four to six months ago. Nobody. Okay. There was a guy who uh, decided he was going to look at the Old Testament code and live it out for what it says. Don't mix your fabrics. No cotton and polyester blends. Don't associate with anything unclean. All of the old ritual laws and cleanliness laws that we understand to be complete in Christ, he decided, what would it be like to live that out for a year? And it was a very unpleasant experience for him, and he wrote a book. And apparently it didn't sell that well because none of you heard about it. <laughs> the idea was just keep the rules, keep the rules, keep the rules. Don't sin, don't do what's wrong, just keep the rules and things will be fine. That's not what we're talking about by uh, having Christ as the Lord of our life and living our lives in a way to please him. So what is the right answer? Before I break it down, uh, let's go to Romans 12. We'll be looking at a few passages here and there this morning. I will probably take a fair amount of time to find them myself because my Bible is new and the pages stick together. And I was looking for some place in John. John, and I couldn't open the pages because I've not been to that part of John yet because my Bible's new this week. Going to Romans chapter 12, Paul has spent 11 chapters talking about what Christ has done for us, our salvation in Christ, the greatness of the sovereignty of God in salvation and how he has brought us to the point where we can be saved. And then he says this, turning the corner in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in light of everything that came in Romans 1 through 11, salvation of God, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Holy and acceptable. That's what we are in God's sight. God sees us as holy and acceptable. The Old Testament patch, the splint, the band-aid is done. There's a cure for sin. We are holy, acceptable in God's, holy and acceptable in God's eyes. So, while we continue to live, present your body as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern. Discern. Discernment is the application of wisdom, distinguishing between one thing and another, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do you live your life in a way that pleases God? We see here, of course, it's found in Christ because it comes after Romans 1 through 11 and uh, transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then flip over to Colossians 3. We'll see a similar line of thought that takes us one step closer to our answer of what the gospel means to daily life. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. Same thing in Colossians. Colossians 1 and 2 is about the work of Christ what he's done, salvation in Christ. Three and four, how do you live it out? This is where we turn the corner in Colossians. If, then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of this earth. 
Now, obviously, we live on this earth. We have to eat. We have to feed. We do work. We live on this earth. So what do we mean by setting our minds on things above, not on things of the earth? So this is the answer. When we see what God is doing on the large scale, we can apply his wisdom effectively on the small scale in our daily lives. Big picture, God is seeking, we've said this before, this will be review. God is seeking to glorify himself by gathering a people, people like us, people that are sinners but have been saved from their sin and are growing less and less sinful. Gathering a people, saving them from their sins, and displaying to everybody the transforming power of his gracious love by making us like Christ. I've spoken many times from James, and it's an idea that comes up over and over again. God is making us like Christ. God is accomplishing his work by making us like Christ. He's forming the character of Christ in us. We're going to carry this into how we look at our resources and priorities. So before we get into the nitty-gritty, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this chance to be here with your people. I thank you for the time I had to work on this sermon. I pray that it would please you, and that my motives would be pure, and I uh, lay my heart before you, and I pray that you would be pleased with the efforts, uh, that they would be used to uh, accomplish your work of making us like you. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. Board games. I know that I've already gone 12 minutes. I didn't get to rehearse, so we're going to take up the pace. I know. No, we're going to... We're going to finish on time. Monopoly. Risk, Settlers of Catan, various board games, any of them familiar to any of you. Raise your hands, look alive. Those are board games that are familiar to many of us. You lay out the board, you have your players sitting around the table, and everybody starts off with stuff. In Monopoly, you get dealt money. If you're doing a fast start the way we did growing up, you get dealt out the properties too. In Risk, you get dealt out land, and you get to put your armies on the board. In Settlers, you're playing the, you got the island, and you put your pieces on the board, and you all start off. The idea is to have an even start, level playing field. I'm not going to call, talk about, you know, the game of life, because life is no game. But there's a similarity. We all started our lives. We started each season of our life. You wake up in the morning with certain resources, and they are... Time and energy and money. And some people, Mardano, we got pretzel M&Ms for you. All right. Aaron sent them. Phil, watch out. Mike, there we go. Aaron gave instructions. She gives her greetings. Time, energy, and money. Those are, we all wake up in the morning. We all got the same 24 hours. We have different amounts of money and earning capacity. We have different amounts of energy. But those are the resources that God has ordained that we have to live our lives. Not equally distributed. It's not fair. And the way that you make your decisions and the way other people make their decisions impact how you um, have these resources. And we're all sort of familiar with the idea of exchanging some of these for others. Uh, you wake up in the morning. Most of us are in this situation. You have time. You have energy. So what do you do? You go to work so you can get money. That's the pattern for a great many of us. At one point in our life, we're going to trade time and energy for money. That's the, the, uh, the easy, big one to understand. Alternatively, you can trade your money and your energy 
for time by some sort of labor-saving device, like a dishwasher. You put in a small amount of energy and a bit of money for the box, and you save a bunch of time because the dishes do themselves. The product that my company sells is a product that helps dairy farmers, dairy operators, save time. It takes energy and a little bit of time to use our product, and you gotta pay us money for it, please, but it's a labor-saving device. You end up saving more time. And uh, the, the third uh, corner of the triangle, you can give money and give time to get energy. If you have a garden, you put in a bunch of energy, you put in a bunch of time, and you put in a fair amount of money probably, and you get crops that come out of the ground. Go to the gas station, take some time, takes a bunch of money, and you get fuel for your car. Uh, exercise works this way. It takes time to exercise, and depending on how you do it, it takes some amount of money, but you get a whole bunch of energy from exercising. The Bible talks about each of these resources. Money, we had a treasure principle series earlier in, in uh, June and May. Don't need to say anything more about that except to go to 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. These scriptures, you're welcome to join me on your way. You don't have to. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. This is one of the big picture purposes for money. How do you decide what to do with your money? God has given you a certain amount of money. He's given you some sort of earning potential, income capacity, wealth, whatever. One of the things God says you need to do with your money, you need to do this. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You offend God. You bring disrepute to his name if you fail to provide for your families. In the early church, apparently, that was an issue. Jesus came, he died on the cross, he ascended, he says, I'm coming again. The apostles go out, they spread the word, and they thought, okay, he's coming again. He's coming again soon. So I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to live off the church, and he's coming again soon. And Paul and Peter had to take great pains to say, no, no, do your work, do work, provide for your family. If you don't do that, you've denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever, which is pretty stern stuff. Flip back to... Ephesians chapter 5, God has something to say about the way we use our time. We all do various things with our time. Some of us uh, work. Some of us have uh, lines of work that don't involve employment, like parenting or caregiving. Verse 15 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. This is the application of wisdom, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God has a desire that you use your time well. The days are short. The days are evil. We live in dark days. We can use the time that we have to accomplish something. Lastly, energy. Go over to Colossians. This is very close by, just two or three pages to the right. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at energy and the use of energy. This is Paul, who was... Uh, ridiculously hardworking, according to Paul. We only had his word for it, but we trust it to be true, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, 28, talking about how he conducts his ministry. Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We are growing in godliness, growing in maturity, becoming more like Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, that's the town right down the road, 
and for all those who have not seen me face to face. Paul worked hard. He exerted a lot of effort and energy to accomplish his work. You take these collectively, don't go here, Proverbs 31. We're not going to cover that. Mike covered that pretty well back in May on Mother's Day. The Proverbs 31 woman applies just as well to men. She worked hard. She rose early. She was the very picture of diligence, industriousness. That's a picture that God put for us in Scripture. And do go here, First Thessalonians 4. Thessalonians chapter 4. This is Paul writing to the people in Thessalonica. We're going to look at verse 9. He's telling them the the subheading in my Bible for chapter 4 is a life pleasing to God. How do you live a life that's pleasing to God? He spends eight verses talking about sexual purity. That's number one. And if you want to be wise, live with sexual purity. I'm not going to say anything more about that this morning. Verse 9. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. That's good. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. This is the northern part of Greece. Very poor. A very, very poor part of the world at that time. And um, and not so great today. They were uh, great models of Christian charity. One to another. The churches in Macedonia. Places like um, Thessalonica, Berea. Philippians, the letter to the Philippians was written to the Philippians to thank them for their generosity. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, mind your own business, to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. There's a pattern given here, not a command for all people, but a pattern given of people that live their lives. They have normal lives that look a lot like the lives of everybody else in the neighborhood, except that they're living in light of God's words. Living quietly, mind your own affairs, and and do work. Do work. So, for the Christian, the question, we are bought and owned, our lives are bought and owned by Christ. We live out of love and gratitude and worship to Him. Genuine, heartfelt desire to be like Him and to make His name great. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's go to the next slide, Connor. In the middle of the triangle is something. You're trying to do something with these resources. You are not working for the sake of work, although you could. If you're working for the sake of work, then work is what's at the center of the triangle, and you're a workaholic, and work is your God, and you worship work, and that's a problem. There could be something else in the center of your triangle. In my life, it's comfort. I want to be comfortable, warm and dry and comfortable, and I want relational comfort, too. I want people to like me. So I tend to naturally devote a certain amount of time, energy, and money to making myself comfortable. That's not great. For the Christian, the highest priority should be, next slide, kingdom of God, his kingdom, his righteousness. That is what we are to be addressing with our lives and how we use our resources for him few big points first don't waste your resources you're given a certain amount of money time and energy don't waste your money through profligate spending that doesn't please god don't waste your energy through laziness and just not doing work that doesn't please god and time don't waste your time through idleness that's that's not 
Good. Second, figure out what's in the middle of your triangle. This takes hard work to look at your life. Look at the choices that you've made with your, uh, your, your credit card statements and your checkbook. That will reveal what you care about and what you're living for. Look at your planner, your day timer, your electronic thingy that controls your time. That will tell you, I use a paper system and it works well for me. How you use your time reveals something about what you care about and what you are pursuing in your life. Identify what your priorities are and your choices will reveal your priorities. Third, if you're committed to pleasing God with how to use your gifts, then how do we apply the big picture? And applying the big picture of God is trying to make us more like Christ and accomplish the building of his kingdom, identify the way he has built you and put you together so that you can do work and spend time and exert energy towards a pursuit that accomplishes something that's fruitful, that's productive. Look at your life and figure out what is it that I'm doing that I enjoy doing, that I am gifted at, that is bearing fruit, that I see results from, and cultivate that and pursue that. Denise talked a couple weeks ago about personalities. God has made us each very different in our personalities. Different personalities are suited to different kinds of work. Denise was an administrator. She's got a kind of job that plays to her strengths and doesn't require her to be good in her areas of weakness. Hopefully that's true for, for many of us. Some of you, I look out and I can see, yeah, that's a really good example. Carl is doing what he should be doing. Mike is doing what he should be doing. Craig's doing what he should be doing. Operating in line with, with the way that you're made. Aaron. Aaron's doing what she should be doing. God has called her in this season of life to be a mother, and she's working hard to get rested up and get healed up so that she can be a mother well. It's not just about um, earning income. It's about how we use all the resources of our life for him. In the membership covenant here at Prairie View, we have membership at Prairie View. There's a membership covenant. I've had the privilege of going through that with many of you. We talk about your shape, S-H-A-P-E, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences. God has brought you to this point in your life and has brought you to this church with everything that's come behind you so that you can use who you are and use your gifts for his kingdom and his glory. Continuing, oh, we're not in Romans 12. Go back to Romans 12. We were in Romans 12 a moment ago. I think we're going to stay in Romans the rest of the time. Yes, we will. We read 1 and 2 earlier. Start in verse 3, Romans 12. 4. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Look at your life. Assess your life and your skills and your abilities with sober judgment. Don't be unrealistic. Don't be pessimistic. Sober judgment. And that's, you know, sober judgment is required so that you can live your life and expend your resources in a way that's useful. Let's look at four areas. Four areas that affect all of us at one point in our life where we use these three resources to accomplish something. First, education. 
Education is investing money, for sure, and time, and energy, expending all three to get an increase in skills, a huge increase in skills, so that you can exert your energy and spend your time and earn money much more effectively. Education is a great good because it allows us to make much better use of the resources that we have. Upfront investment, long-time return, if you are getting an education that's helpful for you. If you are going to be pursuing a life in business, then going to business school is a good idea. Going to school to learn how to be a poet, not helpful. If you want to be a pastor, then you go to a Christian college and you learn about the Word and you learn how to shepherd. You don't go to MIT. That's just not smart. If you want to be a pastor's wife, go to a Christian college. That's <laughs> you want to meet a good pastor, go to a Christian college. But on the other hand, if you wanted, if you want to marry a, a doctor or, or a lawyer and have a family and, and pursue that with your life, then don't go someplace where you're not going to find those. I heard the story about this woman who desperately wanted to marry a lawyer. Her dad was a lawyer. She liked that life. She wanted to marry a lawyer. Well, she went to a Christian college. She married a pastor. It was rough. That was not the proper application of wisdom. When you were choosing... It's not just for the youth. Everybody. Everybody who needs more skills. When you're choosing a school and you're choosing what to study and choosing how to spend your time, accomplish something with all those time, money, and energy that you're investing that's going to give you something, skills, a degree, that is suited to you. There are lots of good schools that do lots of different things. I wanted to study physics. I looked at Taylor. I looked at the Air Force Academy. I looked at Purdue. I also wanted to marry Aaron pretty quickly, so I didn't go to the Air Force Academy, because he can't do that. And choice between Taylor and Purdue, Taylor was a great school. It was a Christian college. That was great. I was familiar with Christian education from going to Heritage. Taylor would have been a good choice, but I knew I wanted to study physics. Purdue was right there. Purdue was the more, it was the wiser choice for studying physics, because I can do that there. They had a physics department. They didn't have a physics department at Taylor. They had a physics professor. He was in the science department. <laughs> Purdue was a little broader than that. There's a lot of good Christian schools, and it's great to go to a Christian school if you can study something that will help you to serve God through ministry or through volunteering or through vocation that is um, suited to you. Likewise, side note, when you choose a mate, choose a mate that's on the same page as you are in this area because that can get you really mixed up. Okay, education. Now, your vocation. What do you do with your time? We talked about vocation back in January. It's not just gainful employment. It's how you spend your time. Spending time and energy to get money. The work that you do should reflect some aspect of the character of God. If you're not doing work that doesn't reflect something about the character of God, then it's probably criminal or unethical, and you shouldn't be doing that. Some folks aren't working for money. They are expending money and time and energy to accomplish their life's work. Parenting and being a pastor, being a missionary, engaging in social services, being a teacher. Nobody goes into uh, being a teacher for, for the money, right? That's a sacrifice of money that's made and time and energy to accomplish some sort of good. Ultimately good for the kingdom is, is the, uh, the desire. Stewardship. Freely giving up one of these things to benefit God's kingdom. You can freely give your money. We've talked about that. 
giving time, volunteering of time. We have time-intensive tasks here at Prairie View that require a minimum input of energy or money. When we collect missions change, like we did a week or two ago, there are thousands of coins in that bucket. Somebody's got to spend a couple hours counting them. It takes a lot of time. It's not hard work. It doesn't require any money to do that. It's a time-intensive job. Likewise, there's energy-intensive job. Teaching in Kids City, the prep time, there's some of that. The actual time, there's some of that, too. It's more energy-intensive than it is any of those. You can give your resources, not just money, but time and energy, to further the kingdom of God. And it's not always wise to maximize one at the extent of others. For instance... In this season of life, we don't have a senior minister, but we do have staff meetings. And so Carl often will take the opportunity to be at a staff meeting because it's important for the church and for the kingdom when he could be picking up an extra shift. It's a direct trade-off. He's trading money. He could earn that money and give it to the church, but he's setting aside that opportunity so that he can give his time instead. So maximizing the gift of money isn't always the wisest course to take. The last one retirement. This may hit a few nerves, especially if you're getting close to retirement. Reversing the pattern. You've spent your lifetime and your energy to get money, and now you want to expend that money on your, 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 your time in retirement and, and the energies there. Some people, you can do that really well, and really well to the, the glory of God. Having a second career where you um, work for a church or volunteer. My grandparents volunteered for the Red Cross, and they spent 20 years working for the Red Cross, and that was good. On the other hand, you can totally waste your retirement, and um, John Piper wrote a book, Don't Waste Your Life, and the story in the introduction is these, this couple, they're retired to Florida, they bought a boat, they bought a house on the beach so that they could collect shells. And they were going to spend the next 25 years of their life collecting shells. Shells are beautiful. Shells are, you know, the glory of God in the marine creation. But they're going to get to the end of their life and say, look, God, shells. And they might not be pleased with how that decision goes down after they've spent 25 years pursuing shells instead of something else in their retirement. Retirement is not necessarily a no-brainer. If you are great at making money, and earning money, and you love your job, and you're doing it well, and you do it to the glory of God, then quitting it so that you can volunteer someplace might not be the best idea. Maybe the best idea for you is to work until it's not physically possible for you to work, because that's what's going to benefit the kingdom the most. The key point, the key point here, use your time, energy, and money in a way that pleases God, and the way that you are doing it reflects something about what your priorities are. Closing illustration. I was talking to a woman uh, over the summer. She was telling me her story. She had a good career, great job, required a lot of travel. She was on the career path, giving her time, giving her energy for money. She was the primary breadwinner for her family. Her husband had a job. He did good work. He did hard work. But she was, she was the one that was you know, paying for the house that they had chosen to live in. And then she had a bit of a hiccup in her career. She got laid off. And then they told her, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. Your name wasn't supposed to be on that layoff list. Please come back. She had a two-week window where she's out of a job. 
And she had a decision to make. She took stock of her life, and she realized the way I have been using my time and energy in pursuit of career, I don't like it. I want it to be different. She kept working. She didn't quit her job and stay home with her kids. She kept working, but she changed jobs. She shifted the track of her career so that she could continue to expend time and money, time and energy, to get money, but in a way that was more consistent with the priorities that she held. She was lining up her operational values to be in line with her held values and her held priorities. And the point there is that it's not too late. If you are taking stock of your life right now, whatever stage of life you're in, and you think, the way that I'm using time, energy, and money is not glorifying to God. It's not what I would like it to be. That can change. might not change overnight, but you can shift and alter and push the way that you, you know, the, the, the priorities of your life. That's something you have control over so that your life becomes increasingly more like Christ in the way that you're using your resources. Obviously, there's more that can be said about the practical applications of wisdom. But I want to take us back to the beginning, which was the cross. It doesn't matter how you use your time, energy, and money if you're not doing it for God, if you're not doing it within the love of Christ. If you're not Christ's, then you're not going to be happy with how you lived your life at the end because it won't stand at the judgment. So as I close in prayer, I want you to think about your life, where you stand right now, how you're using the resources that you have. Ask yourself first, am I in Christ? Do I know Christ? Is he my Lord and my Savior? And then, is the way that I'm living my life pleasing to him in general, in particular? All of us are going to be able to find something. I'm not saying that you have to find something, but a group of sinners. Everybody in the room is a sinner. Obviously, there's going to be something some way that you can uh, improve. And, and now that you've heard this, it doesn't have to be today, but sometime in the future you'll think, you know, I don't like how I'm using my resources and the priorities that it's revealing. And when that happens, I want you to get before God and, uh, and confess before Him and help Him, ask Him to help you. So let's do that now. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we've had to look at what you've done for us in Christ and then take that and think about what your word has to say about how we make that real in our lives and how we live the lives that we live, whether we're students or employed someplace or participating in some sort of vocation that doesn't involve a paycheck. I thank you that we have the chance to, to look at the way that we're using our resources and check and see, am I doing this in a way that pleases you? And I thank you, God, that it is never too late to make changes. I thank you that we live in such a society where we, the American dream, you can change what you do, you can change your skills, you can change the way you use your resources. And Lord, I thank you that you have made it possible for us who know you to change in a way that pleases you, to be more like Christ. And I thank you that you are at work doing that. Lord, I thank you that you have made it a work of joy, that it's our joy to seek you and follow you and serve you. I will delight. I will rejoice in the Lord. Thank you that you've made it possible for us to please you in a way that's, that's joyful and fruitful and effective. It's in your great name we pray, Lord. Amen.